I'm Kat Harris. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm an educator, brand strategist, and content creator. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful dialogue. It's a place where none is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where the journey is the destination. So I invite you to leave your Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is messy and beautifully imperfect. We all have a story to tell, and I want to hear yours. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. This is Kat Harris, and this week I have Komal Minhas with me. Komal, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, and where are you calling in from? From Ottawa, Canada. Wow. That, I don't think I've ever had a, um, a Canadian on the podcast yet. So I'm so pumped to be the first. Yes. Um, so before we get started, y'all, I have to tell you a little bit about this woman. She is such a baller. She has a documentary film out called Dream Girl. And get this, y'all, it premiered at the Obama White House. No big deal. Um, are Michelle Obama's arms as amazing as I hope they are? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, she, in 2016, was named one of Oprah's Super Soul 100. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. And she has also been on the cover of the magazine Power and Influence. So this girl is clearly inspiring so many women and the world around her. And Kamal, I'm just, I'm excited and I feel honored and humbled to have you on the podcast today. So thank you so much. And I don't know that I've ever talked with someone that's actually talked with Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she is a queen and I also kind of blacked out during that whole interaction. (laughs) So no, it was an amazing, amazing experience. (laughs) Imagine. So yeah, that's kind of your resume on paper, but who are you? What, what are you about and why are you up to the things you're up to? So I like to say, I love how you ask this. What are you about? Who are you? Um, not necessarily what do you do? Um, I'm a, I'm a future wife. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. And I just love to focus on the advancement of women and girls and specifically women and girls of color. Um, and it's something that I am so invested in because I am a first generation Canadian. Um, I, my parents were born in India. I had the privilege of being born in Canada. And so it's kind of been built into me that I don't want to waste a second of this life. And I want to do everything I can to take advantage of all the advances and steps forward that I've been given by being born on this soil. Um, my life would look very different if I was born in India. And so this has become something that is a huge motivator for me, especially considering that Indian culture can be very patriarchal. And that's something that made me really motivated to advance women and girls specifically. Yeah. Wow. So what would it have looked like if you were born and raised in India? Like what would your life have looked like? Um, So I distinctly remember a couple of years ago going back to my mom's village in India. And like when I say village, it's like actual village, like, uh, you know, thatched roofs and clay houses, depending on where in the village you are. And, um, you know, we have built a house that with our with the money that we've made in Canada, we could make into a beautiful little home for us whenever we go back. And some of the local villagers help out when we do come to the city. And so there was this young girl 
And she was helping my grandma out because my grandma was there for a few months. And she would come every day, help my grandma cook, help her clean, and then head back home. And I was there to see her sister get married. And so we were dancing around the village, doing our traditional customs. And I got to enjoy that with them. And then I left. And a few months later, I heard that her sister and her both had taken their life. They ingested pesticides because her sister's husband ended up being abusive and they both just didn't really see future for themselves. And so when I heard that, it just really stuck with me because had that been where I was born, had that been the situation I was in, that may not have been exactly in my life, but I would have been raised around certain ideals, certain expectations, certain societal pressures around simply being a girl, being a woman that I would have to kind of be faced with on a daily, which don't get me wrong, we do face here in North America. Like uh, it's unstoppable. We see that with the Me Too movement. We see that just as women experiencing sexual harassment, experiencing being underestimated. But that just really put it in my face of like, wow, I have so much more privilege here. I have access to education, I have access to resources. My parents were able to build a huge life for me from scratch. And I'm not going to waste a second of it. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, I have goosebumps just hearing that story. Um, it's humbling, humbling to hear. Um, wow. And I just acknowledge you. I acknowledge your family for just fighting for you and, and fighting for their legacy, your legacy. And um, how are your, how are your parents in that? Like, did they, have they been supportive of you as a woman from the time you were a child? Like, how has that been with your parents specifically? They are my number one supporters, my biggest fans. They, I, they are the, just the greatest supporters I could have ever asked for in my entire life. Just from the day I was born, from when I was a child, always supporting me, relentlessly telling me I could go for my dreams, relentlessly telling me that I could become anything I wanted to become. Mm -hmm. And they not only would tell me that, they would show me that through their own actions. My dad worked at a pulp mill in rural Alberta, which is like Canada's Texas, uh, in the middle of nowhere. And slowly from there, he purchased a logging truck and started hauling for that pulp mill, turned that into investments in real estate, car dealerships, hotels, he really, him and his brother, him and my uncle started from scratch and made that quote unquote Canadian or American dream come to life. So every day that I was growing up, not only was it being reinforced that I could do and be whatever I wanted to be, but I was seeing my parents doing exactly that. So it just kind of imbued in me this sense of real limitless possibility of who and what we can become. Yeah. I remember reading, I cannot remember what book it is in, but it, t- it was talking about parenting and you always, people always say like, how do I teach my kids to, you know, be good people or, you know, to have integrity or character. And it's not what you tell them. It's how, it's how you be. And mm-hmm. it's, it's the, they don't really need to hear you say as much, although the words are, are very affirming but we need to see them living it. And it sounds like, I mean, everything you're saying, like your, your parents, your dad, um, he didn't waste one moment. So you were able not, not only did they say that to you, but able to, you were living that, you were experiencing it on a daily basis that he was being those things. Absolutely. It, actions do speak louder than words. And I would also say though, that there's like a catch 22 here. It's, it's 
I got to see that unbridled commitment to work and advancement uh, so that my brother and I and my cousins, we could all have a better life. But within that, there was, you know, significant trauma at home. There was, you know, repressed emotions, lack of communication. There was um, opportunities for improvement, even around wellness and health and nutrition and all these things that only as an adult, I've realized I have to choose better. So we learn so much from our parents and we learn so much from our upbringing and our culture. Um, and then there comes a point, an inflection point in our lives where we have to be like, okay, so much of this has been so good to me, but now I want to be even better for my parents, for my ancestors, for myself. Um, and making those hard choices is also like a really key part in the, in the equation of what's for me, like a very full and meaningful life. Yeah. It's like, it's, I feel like it's like that coming of age of, being grateful and expressing that gratitude, but also saying, okay, like, so how, how would I want to do this differently? Or what is it that I really do believe? And what are the things that I want to make my own? And, um, I feel like that, and that is a life, that's a life journey. Like it's not like an overnight thing, right? It, it takes time and trial and error. And yes. And I think like we can get, we can forget that we can forget that it's like a waking up every day and making key values based decisions about who and what we want to be in the world. And that, you know, we aren't just painted with the singular brush of how we were brought up, but of the choices we make as adults. And I think that's what the key part of the 20s, early 20s is like that unbridled, like, I can do anything. I'm amazing. Like, I'm just going to keep going, going, going. But then for me in my journey, there was that key moment when I did get sick and my health kind of made me stop in my tracks and reevaluate how I was living my life. And it led to the past two years of my life where I really have started to define what a real healthy and like successful life looks like. Um, so yeah, you kind of have to pause to make sure you're doing it right. Yeah. I want to talk more about that because I just read off this list of achievements that people would just kill to have on their resume. And these things happened a couple of years ago, 2016. And, um, that sounds like, right. I mean, you just said like a couple years ago, like with your health, like did that coincide with these amazing achievements and, and what was kind of that unraveling for you? Yeah. So I, in 2016, as you mentioned, you know, we premiered our film at the Obama white house um, we were named to Oprah Super Soul 100. And by we, I, myself and my co-founder, Erin, Erin was sort of the brains behind Dream Girl. And I, I came on board to support her and help her build what became the Dream Girl movement. And um, two weeks before we were named to Oprah Super Soul 100, I was diagnosed with a rare form of skin cancer. Um, three weeks before, or like a month before we premiered the film at the White House, I had my first surgery to remove the cancer. The same week that I was on the magazine cover for uh, Power and Influence, I went underwent my second surgery to remove the remainder of the cancer. And yeah, it was like the highest highs and the lowest lows of my life. And I was 26 years old and just did not understand what I was going through and did not necessarily have the tools to manage what I was going through. And that culminated the fall of 2016 when I went back to work after I was given the green light of being cancer free. And we hit the road and went to, on a tour with the film. And I was in New York and we were in Brooklyn and just hustling every day. And my body was game over done. My mind was game over done. But I have this sheer 
force of will that I inherited from my parents, that I inherited from being a first-generation immigrant, a woman of color who just by the nature of my existence always has to work, always has to push, push, push. And um, I got sick again. I woke up one day in January 2017 and had lost most of the vision in my left eye. And I was hit with a neurological illness called optic neuritis. And in 60% of cases of optic neuritis, it's linked to multiple sclerosis. So I woke up that morning and I couldn't really see. I couldn't take the subway because I had such intense vertigo and nausea. And I had to stop and ask myself, what the hell are you doing? And so within a couple of weeks, I had to make the hard decision of leaving New York, leaving the company that Aaron and I had built and starting my life from scratch. Literally, I couldn't be in a room with more than one or two people communicating with them because my brain couldn't handle that much stimulus. And so to go from this person who's being touted by like on these lists, all these things to literally unable to fully function mentally uh, was a very humbling experience. And one that took me the better part of a year to recover from. Uh, so yeah, it was a super roller coaster year and it kind of showed me what I'm made of because here I am today having this conversation, feeling better than I ever have. But in that in between, it took a hell of a lot of work, a hell of a lot of real self-care and a hell of a lot of self-love. And gosh, I mean, I, I'm sitting here in silence listening to you and I'm just saying yes, yes. Like I've gone through my own um, journey of healing through autoimmune disorder stuff. And my life came to a halt a couple years ago. And it happened with like a, a big specific incident, kind of like how you said you woke up and you like literally can't see and you can't walk because you have vertigo. And so you had that big moment. But what I'm wondering is, can you look back and see like warning signs, like the months or year leading up to it. Um, and what I, why I asked that is as I went through my healing process, I think one of the things that I experienced was our bodies are always talking to us. Like we just have to listen. And I end up having to take the better part of a year off as well to completely focus on my, my health. And I did that and I was like, oh, whoa, like the fire alarm had kind of been beeping for a while. But like, I was like, no, no, I got this. I got this. I got this. And then all of a sudden my house was in flames. And so then I had to stop. And so I'm wondering like, A, can you look back and see like there were moments or circumstances leading up to the big moment of like, okay, now it's like, now it's fight or flight. Now we have to pause everything. Because I'm wondering if there are women out there listening who maybe they're not necessarily at that extreme point, but if they don't do something now or soon, they're going to be there. They're going to have to take the year off. And mm -hmm. I, I would love if women didn't have to get to that point. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Me too. And, and you know, 100% there were whispers a lot of what I was unpacking and dealing with was related to witnessing a lot of violence, abuse. When I was a kid, I grew up, like I said, in Indian culture in a conjoined family. So two families under one roof. And so I had developed this personality and version of myself that only knew how to run. I would achieve, I would be valedictorian. I would be on Oprah's super soul 100 list. I would be getting the award at university 
um, because achievement was the way that I knew how to attain positive um, attention, how to be seen for goodness instead of brokenness. And I think that for a lot of us and a lot of the times the, the way that we chase success and chase acknowledgement and chase, you know, profitability and building our business and hustle is because we're running so fast from the emotions and pain that we're not wanting to face and to heal. But the truth of those emotions that our body wants us to know is that if you let them happen, if you let yourself feel them out with the right supports you know, um, mindset coaching, therapy, doctors, that facing those things will heal you, will make you well, and will allow you to choose your success on your terms instead of in this way that makes you feel powerless and like a piece of shit for so long. Um, there is a way to do it differently. And one, the way my mindset coach would explain it to me, it's like you said with the fire alarm, you can push snooze on that alarm clock as many times as you want, but it's going to keep going off. And every time it's going to get bigger and messier and you're just going to, no one wants to take a year off. You've experienced this. I have experienced this. Whatever we can do to prevent that from happening. So like speaking directly to the audience, you know, you're running, you know, if you're a person who is like suppressing something or not choosing to deal with something or feeling like something's too painful for you to face know that you are capable of healing from it, of facing it and allowing to, and letting it happen on your own terms instead of on like terms that you do not want to agree to. It took me being faced with the potential of an MS diagnosis to make that change. And I don't wish that upon anybody. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I, I needed to hear that. Do you think in your healing process, because you have these physical, these literal like, physical ailments happening to you, vision loss, vertigo, skin cancer. But you mentioned that like you were like pushing down like things from your past. Do you think that our body physically manifests our emotional, our spiritual, our trauma? A hundred percent. So I'm, I did a yoga teacher training years before uh, so like 2014, the year before I, I came on board with Dream Girl. And there's a whole section of the training that I did about emotional anatomy and about how we store different emotions in different parts of our bodies. So you break your arm, it's in a cast for a while. It's going to take you a while to, once you're healed, to like not associate pain or not like to learn that you can put pressure on it again. But there are there is energy that's stuck in that area of your body that you can learn how to heal and move through different modalities. Um, and for me, I was holding a lot in my chest, in my lungs, um, a lot of you know self-loathing in my belly. And I feel like this is a fun place to be able to talk about this because a lot of people may not, this may not resonate with you, but I learned how to unstick a lot of that energy through meditation, through this mindset coaching, and through just stepping at like actually taking up space in my body again. I feel like I didn't know how to inhabit this being. And that is what caused it to get sick because I had intuition. I had my fight or flight responses. I could tune into the real extremes that my body was trying to give me. And that's why I think my sicknesses became mm. so extreme. But um, now that I can tune into a little, like I'm a little bit more finely tuned into what's going on. So I know how to pump the brakes mm. a little earlier, but at the same time, I think it is dangerous to link 
illness as our own fault or that it's something that we bring into our lives. I, I think that if a person isn't ready or it's just a very tough thing to say like that it, and, and completely untrue in a lot of ways because that burden, that victimhood that we can feel. Like I remember someone when I first was diagnosed with cancer, like kind of putting that in my face and being like, what did you do to bring this into your life? And it's like, you know what? No, I did not do this to myself, but I can recover from it. I can heal myself in the ways that I can. As you can tell, this is something that I'm still unpacking because even saying like healing myself, I never want someone to have, who's going through a physical illness to feel shame for what they're experiencing because so much of it is out of our control. I can be as finely tuned into my body as I want, but if I get diagnosed with something, I don't want to blame myself for that thing showing up in my life. So I don't know if I really got yeah. that across or, or made a point, no, here, you but it's something I'm still chewing on. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's okay. Like it's okay to still be in process and aren't we all? And I think the thing that is important to acknowledge is that there is like a physical and emotional link or a physical or spiritual link to our bodies. Like, so here's an example from, from my life. I have an old injury from college. I was a collegiate athlete. I was on scholarship for tennis and I really hurt my lower back. So that's a real injury. Like, that at the time didn't have anything really to do with like emotional or spiritual trauma. It was a real physical injury from playing a sport. But 13 years later, I still struggle with intense back pain. And um, I go to physical therapy. I do, I've been doing acupressure and I do a lot of yoga. I work out. I try to eat foods that will support my body. But I was at I was at um, a massage therapy appointment last week, and the guy um, massaging me he does acupressure, and I'm leaving, and I'm always like, "What can I do to like make it better? Like, do you have any more exercises for me? Like, is there any vitamins? What can I do? Like, what can I do to make my back stop hurting as much?" And he looked at me and this was a huge risk for him to say, we're at my local gym and he goes, you need to sit and you need to sit in the presence of God and let, let God's peace and presence wash over you and your body will release. And, Mm -hmm. and then he said, and he has no idea, am I, do I have a faith background which I do, but he then said for me to read the specific chapter in the Old Testament of the Bible, which happens to be one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And he's like, read that and let God's peace wash over you and your back will release. And Mm. I started crying because it felt so true. And I mean, so I share that because I'm like, yes, like there's a physical aspect to our ailments and it it's not our fault. Or sometimes things are done to us or sometimes you just have a sore ankle or sometimes something bad mm-hmm. just happens. But sometimes there's, there is a connection and I don't want to yes. be afraid or closed off to that if that happens. And that situation that happened to me just, it blessed me so much. And I was like, man, this is, it felt so right. Cause all I want to do is like, do fix, like, what are the vitamins I can take? What are the exercises I can do? And really all I needed to do was like sit and be and receive. And and then my body would naturally Mm. release. Yeah. 
That's beautiful because I, I also think I needed to hear that because there is like, what is this spectrum between the physicality of illness and disease and unwellness? And then how do we own that, that the spiritual aspect does exist? Because, you know, I come from a very analytical education-based science-based, all of this, right? Like that's something that I live in, but my lived experience proves to me the spiritual connection and component that exists within all parts of our lived experience. And then there's the other part of like, we are such small, minute beings in the vastness of the universe. And that's something that really kind of came through for me on my, as I was getting well, and as I was getting better, it was like, I'm literally just, I am an animal, like this body, just like any other animal on this planet, we are meant to die. That is the only guarantee in this life. And so what is this consciousness? What is this thing that makes us all human? What gives us this ability to choose, to have morality, to be conscious beings? And that was a really beautiful part of this recovery and connection to something greater. Um, I grew up in a Catholic school and then went to temple, grew up in the Sikh faith. um, And now I'm kind of defining with my partner, what is our spiritual practice? What is something that we want to imbue in our children um, as we, you know, plan to grow our family. And it's such a beautiful thing to discuss and figure out, knowing that we're more of this smorgasbord of beliefs and ideas and thoughts and experiences. Um, so it's been a big part of my recovery is this spiritual aspect, absolutely. Hey friends, we want to invite you to be a part of the Refined Collective Podcast Tribe. Patreon is an incredible platform that allows artists and creatives to raise funds that empower them to do their craft with excellence by giving you, our audience, the opportunity to sign up for monthly pledges. You can sign up for as little as $5 a month. Our Patreon tribe has first access to our latest episodes, as well as information and insight concerning all things Refined Collective podcast related. Please check out our page and join us in empowering us to continue to create meaningful episodes, interviews, and content for y'all. You can find our page at www.patreon.com forward slash The Refined Collective. Kamal, thanks so much for what you've been sharing. It's been resonating so much with me. Um, and you you mentioned before, like real self-care. Um, what is real self-care? I mean, I know it's like, it has to be more than like, oh, I'm, I need to get like a manicure or you just need to go treat yourself. Um, what has your real self-care process looked like in the last year? Uh, for me, treating myself was actually going to see my neurologist and actually, you know, doing my follow-up appointments with my oncologist and making the hard appointments. You know, we get so stuck in that before a diagnosis experience or like the waiting game or the fear. And that fear is actually what's keeping you from really taking care of you. And so speaking in truth to that fear and actually like, again, actions speak louder than words. It's like, you have to do the real hard work required to inhabit this physical body. Um, And that is for me is like a cornerstone of real self-care. We have to remember the self-care industry is now an $80 billion industry. It has been marketed incredibly well. All the mud masks, all the charcoal nose strips, all of the manicures, the pedicures, like you said, don't get me wrong. That is very much a part of my self-care process as well is, you know, facials and wellness and different things. But beyond that, 
it's dealing with childhood trauma. It's having my mindset coach because traditional therapy didn't necessarily work for me. It is having healthcare practitioners that I love and adore. Um, I love how Chris Carr says this about you have to be the CEO of your own health. I had a really, really poor experience with my surgeon. And so I opted to change oncologists because I have the agency to do that as a patient. And we often forget that. So being a great patient advocate for yourself and knowing that you can speak up when you're going through hardship um, with the healthcare practitioners that you choose. Real self-care is having hard conversations with your friends and family. We see this all the time of like, cut out toxic people. You don't have to be around that energy, da 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 Part of real self-care is also having hard conversations. That mentality of like so quick to cut people out if they make you uncomfortable or, you know, you're having some sort of toxicity with them is easy. But what's hard is actually showing up for that relationship if it's one that means something to you and not just letting it pass by. Because often what triggers us in other people is something we have to heal in ourselves. So for me, real self-care is like really diving into community self-accountability, um, and just r- doing the really tough things that build a strong foundation for our life within which once that's done, facials and pedicures and manicures and everything can actually make you feel good. Uh, so that's for me, my thesis on real self-care. Yeah. I mean, I love what you said and think it's so true. So often what triggers us in someone else is what triggers us in ourselves, or I've heard it said, what you hate in someone else, you hate in yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think it's so easy to, well, I don't have time for that. There's only 24 hours in a day. I I don't want to deal with that. Let me just cut you out of my life. Actually. And sometimes you need to do that. Like that's absolutely. But what does it look like to lean into like hard and difficult moments with people you love and say, I see you. I want to fight for your wholeness. I'm not going anywhere. That I, that's, that really seems like, especially in our culture today, like a road less mm-hmm. traveled. And I think that there's a fine line where, you know, a lot of the times I, I'm very much a people pleaser um, growing up as the youngest child, growing up in the culture I grew up in, growing up in the family I grew up in. I always wanted to please the people around me being a type A all these things, but developing healthy boundaries and then walking towards that potential for healing in these hard relationships with these people that disgruntle us. Or if we do need to X them out of the equation, still doing the healing work around what was triggered in you. Um, Again, I'm very much a believer that a lot of our pain and um, things that are left to be healed are allowing emotions to be expressed. We are a suppressive society. And, you know, I did a silence retreat last week uh, where that I do annually four to five days of just complete silence, six hours of meditation a day. And one of the knowledge sessions um, where we take in knowledge from um, the founder of the organization was about allowing your emotions to move through you, not suppressing them. Worry is thoughts, thoughts that linger because we don't allow the emotions to be expressed. So the way he described it was like a fire. Um, when a fire is burning, when your emotions are happening, there's smoke kind of smoldering out. And that smoke is your worry. That smoke is the lingering thoughts. It's the, it's the expression that you're not letting happen in the fire. But once the fire is out, once that emotion is fully felt, there's no smoke, there's no more worry left. 
So we get so stuck in being perfect and not letting the emotions move through us, not letting them be fully expressed. But once you do, like that's been this year, it's been, what am I not letting myself feel? Um, Because once I let those things be felt, it's like, they move through. It's like when you look at a kid, they have a temper tantrum. Five minutes later, they're like the happiest person in the world again. I want to be that. I want to let the emotions move through me so they don't get stuck in places where they shouldn't be. Yes. Okay. This might sound silly, be a silly reference, but did you watch that movie? Oh my gosh. Why am I forgetting the name of it? It's the cartoon about emotions and feelings. Yes. yes. Um, what is it called? Oh, inside out. Inside out. Uh, inside out. Yes. I, one of the, first of all, I think that should be required for every, I could think it should be required in schools. I think that families should watch it together. I think it's, it's such a Absolutely. great movie, but one of the most compelling scenes from that movie, sorry, spoiler alert, is when the imaginary friend is sad and he's crying, like something sad happens to him and the emotion sadness comes and like sits with him and hugs him. And he's like, she's like, I'm so sorry. You're sad. And the emotion, I can't remember the name, like joy or happiness is so afraid of anyone feeling any sort of sadness. She's like, no, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? But then the imaginary friend is like, thank you. I think I just needed to cry. And then they move on. And that that scene touched me so much because I, I think so often, I think this is what you're tapping on. Like I can feel ashamed for even feeling the feeling. So then you, yes. I don't want to let myself feel the feeling and then it gets stuck. Is that what you're saying? A hundred percent. You know, I, and that's how we get stuck with traumatic memories or experiences. And there's a scale, like, I don't want to diminish anyone's lived experience, but for me, when I would, res- when I'm working with my mindset coach to resolve some childhood trauma, we go back to trigger moments. We go back to moments in my memory that I haven't been able to resolve. And it's also like in Inside Out where the character has those stuck emotions, but then there's a 360 view of what else is going on after that. What happened directly before that memory and after that memory. And was there joy that followed? Was it possible for that experience to have, to have changed, like what, what different perspectives can we give to the memories that are haunting us and, you know, being stuck in us, but it is about that full emotional expression. My fiance and I were having a conversation last night. He was feeling some anxiety and it, uh, instead of me trying to solve it for him, which I would always do. And I think this makes sense for parents too. Instead, it was like, what feeling, what emotion are you feeling? And he shared it with me and it was like, where in your body are you feeling that? And he shared that with me. And then we talked about what was kind of making that emotion come up and how he could like fully express it. And a couple minutes later, we were laughing and he just felt so much better. And so this is kind of how we process things differently now. Instead of me trying to resolve it for him and give him advice and suggestions, it's like, well, what are you actually feeling? And how do we go 100% into that so that you can kind of move out of it? Yeah. We we all just want to fix. Like we all just want to fix, and that's probably because we want ourselves to be fixed. Mm-hmm. But what does it when we when we go instantly into the fixing? It's like I'm diminishing what you're feeling and what you're going through because I'm I'm treating it as like mechanical and black and white when life and emotions are actually gray and full of nuance. And yes, it's good to like come up with some sort of solution, but. 
but to first acknowledge like, all right, let's like sit with this and be here. Let's not live here for the rest of our lives, but let's acknowledge it. And there's no good or bad emotions, you know, like we always tend to put this like judgment on emotions, but really they are just emotions. They are neutral experiences that every human being has. One of my friends, Rupi Kaur, she wrote a poem where it's like, the irony of loneliness is that we are all feeling it at the same time. And we forget that this is a spectrum of this human, the human experience is universal in that we all experience the same spectrum of emotions. And we are supposed to feel the whole spectrum of emotions, but where we get stuck is when we don't actually let ourselves feel them. Yeah, man, that there is beauty in that. Yeah. It's so human. Wow. Well, as we kind of begin slowly wrapping up your episode, man, there's just, you have, you have so much wisdom, girl. Um, Thank I, you. I, it's life. It is just yeah, a, a lot of life in a few years. <laughs> um, but I ask um, the same questions at the end of every episode and I'm excited to hear what your answers are. Wonderful. Yeah. So the first thing, first things first, what are three things that you are loving right now? Okay. So I am in love with castor oil packs. So as part of like my recovery, there's like one other um, health issue that I'm resolving right now that has to do with uh, assist on my uterus or sorry, my ovary. And I have excruciating pain every month when it's my period. And I think this is an experience so many women have And there's so many different ways to like for different people to resolve it in themselves or not, um, because it's just such like an ambiguous thing to try and make like lessen the pain of. And um, so I recently have discovered castor oil packs um, where you just like douse a piece of flannel in castor oil, put it on your body, wrap it in saran wrap and put a heating pad or hot water bottle on it. And this month it just like made things bearable. And I was like, this is a godsend and it's something I need to share for people to try whether it works or not. I cannot attest to, but it worked for me. And so that's something that I'm loving right now. Let me ask a clarifying question. How long do you leave it on there for? So they say like 45 minutes to 90 minutes is enough. Um, Some things that I read um, were like, it's okay to leave it on overnight. So I would leave it on overnight. And I did it three days in a row from like first day of spotting. And when I was starting to feel the cramping um, to when I was done majority of the flow. So it helped so much. I cannot like... It is amazing. Castor oil. (laughs) I don't know if it was a fluke. I check with me next month, but I'm pretty (laughs) certain it was very, like it was the thing. And do you have a brand that you like? Um, so I, I just know, uh, cold pressed organic castor oil. So the bottle's actually in the room next to me, which I cannot grab, but it was just whatever was available at my local health food store. Yeah. So next up would be my favorite playlist, period, end of story, is Indie Apartment Party on Google Play. Um, And it actually, like, back when Google Play, like, before Google bought Songza, it was on Songza, like, years ago. And then Google Play bought them, and then they got rid of this playlist for a while. There was such an uproar online that they brought the playlist back. So (laughs) Indie Apartment Party is just my favorite work jam, my favorite party jam. It's a great playlist. Um, and then last but not least, I love the podcast pod save the world. 
I, my background's in political science, in journalism, and it is just such a great resource for global politics um, with a definitely left or centrist left-leaning um, perspective, but just very informed hosts formerly of the Obama administration and great um, conversations around politics, global issues, things that are coming up. They did a great episode on the Facebook security issue, um, and I just love that podcast. Oh, that's awesome. I need to check that out. Thank you. I, um, this is like my favorite part because I love hearing like what people are excited about in their <laughs> lives. I'm like, ooh, I need to try that castor oil thing. Yes. Yes. And I'll let you know next month. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> what do you wish you could tell your younger self? That it's all going to work out. You know, people are always like, would you change anything? Would you? And it's like, I would not be exactly where I am right now if things didn't roll out the way that they did. And I just wish that younger self just could take a deep breath here and there and just know that everything's going to be fine. All is well. And to just take it a little bit easy. Yeah. And when you know, like when you like receive that, when you know that everything's going to be okay, what does that feel like for you? Like, do you, where, like, let me ask you, like, where do you feel that in your body? Like, what does that feel like? It feels like shoulders relaxing. It feels like core releasing. And when I say, okay, it's not like everything's going to be sunshines and rainbows or whatever, but just knowing that there is a resilience that can exist in all of us to enable us to come through whatever life sends our way. And that the beauty of life is that it's imperfect and painful and hard, but also beautiful and joyful. And there's a way to go through life where you can have a sense of detachment and dispassion that allows you to not be completely taken over by your emotions, by the tragedy, by the hardness, but where you can have just like a little bit of perspective to give you the space you need to just feel content, feel calm, feel joy and still feel the rest of it as well. Yeah. Good. And lastly, what is your vision? What's your vision? I feel like that can feel like really ethereal, but what's, what's your vision for yourself, for others, for the world around you? You've talked about like legacy in our interview. Like what, what is that vision legacy that you want to leave behind? For me, a big part of what I've realized um, matters to me is helping people dive into and uncover their unrealized potential. And that is the cornerstone of why I do what I do. The unrealized potential of women and girls who did not grow up with the same privilege as me. The unrealized potential of people who are in the process of letting themselves feel everything, recovering from personal trauma, um, opening up to their communities. I just feel like there is this untapped resource in all of us that we deserve to discover. And I want everything that I do, all the work that I do, all the motivation that I put out there to help people discover that part of themselves. Well, girl, that, that's a beautiful vision. And it's with that, like that unrealized potential that we're talking about, like it's within all of us. Like I believe that each human being, and this is why I ask this question. I believe that each human being has a calling on their life. They have a purpose. There's something in them that is supposed to get out to the world to offer beauty and truth and hope and light. And, um, 
I just want to say that you, even just in this conversation, you have done that for me. You have shared truth with me. You have encouraged me. And it's so interesting. It's always interesting to me how through the painful moments of our lives, we, we encourage people in ways that like you can't by sharing like the fluffy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's through the pain that we resonate with one another. Even just back to that poem that you just quoted, like, like the secret of loneliness is that like we all feel it, like it's the most human thing, and like how how deeply we can resonate with that. So, thank you for sharing your story with us. I know that there is so much more. I wish maybe I can bring you back on for some more because I feel like we we literally got through like the first bullet point. <laughs> I would love that. And thank you, Kat, for just creating such a space for these vulnerable conversations with such an intentionality. I think we need so much more of this in the world. And I'm so grateful you're creating this space for for us. Thanks. Absolutely. It's my passion and calling similar to yours to empower women. So, well, girl, where can we find you? Where can my tribe, where can my audience discover more about who you are and what you're up to? My Instagram is the best place. It is where I uh, share daily motivational videos and just kind of share about my life. Um, And I also have a weekly newsletter called Curated by Gomel, where I curate um, conversations, articles, movies, videos that inspire and inform. Um, There's this duality in my life of just loving, like I said, current events, global politics, Um, finance, business, all of this. Plus I love to inspire and have these very meaningful conversations and I couldn't find a space that did both. So I decided to make it. Mm -hmm. So that's my weekly newsletter, uh, which you can also link through to on my Instagram at Komal Minhas. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, bless you girl. And um, hopefully we get to meet in real life at some point. That'd be awesome. (laughs) So would love that. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye. Kat Harris, and you've been listening to the Refined Collective Podcast. You can follow our journey on Instagram at The Refined Woman, our website, therefinedwoman.com, for show notes, other features and interviews, and a deeper look into our tribe. Find us on iTunes, The Refined Collective. Subscribe, rate, review, and leave us some love. Join me next time, and thank you so much for listening. And one last thing, in case you ever forget, you are not alone. Your story matters, and you belong here. 